Richard Blissbrook here. We are live. You sit here today with none other than Mark Victor Hansen. Bob Proctor. This is Kendra Hall. Tanya Stringer. Jeff Canfield. Whit Jones. James Clear. Les Brown. People want to hear stories. I like getting stories out of my guests here. So thanks for joining us. I want to start this, Benny, by one of the things that intrigued me in your LinkedIn profile was where you or somebody wrote that you've come full cycle yeah. because you started off as a kid in D.C. marketing with yeah. designing your own flyers and promoting your business and letting people know who you were. And so I thought, well, this guy's achieved some massive things in his life. I mean, you are an iconic marketer that has ticked a lot of boxes um, for uh, achieving greatness in marketing. But I want to hear mostly about the little kid in DC who's designing flyers and posting them on windshields or whatever you were doing. You, you, you know, it, it's so funny you say that. And, and the way you even phrase it, somebody asked me before, they're like, did you write this? Somebody write it for yourself. And I'm like, no, I, I write all my own lyrics, right? So so my, my, my post in there was really when I was thinking about this moment at this time and the both excitement and responsibility of becoming the CEO of AMA, it really took me back to that, those moments. You know, as a little kid, um, before I knew what marketing was, I had this interest in promoting and organizing and setting up businesses. And so it would tickle my mom, who was an educator, to see to see me do this. So my very first business enterprise was I was probably about in the fourth grade. And I knew our school was having a school trip to like an amusement park. And I went to the teacher and asked her if I could sell candy on the bus. Because I knew enough as a fourth grader to know that you could buy candy wholesale, right? I could go with my mom, buy candy wholesale. You could split it up and sell it. And you had a captive audience. So you could actually charge them a little bit more than what they could make. No one taught me this at the time, but it was so much a part of what I enjoyed in the enterprising nature of it. The story goes on in that space is I found out that we ended up having two buses. So I got two other kids on the other bus to sell for me. So I created a franchise right, to have candy that was sold. And that became kind of this love of what do you want to be when you grow up? And it combined the artistry, the creativity, the entrepreneurship. I love being in charge and, and building it. And that was, that meant a lot to me as, as a kid later on in high school, um, I think I wrote about this from my college essays, a friend of mine and I, we started doing bus trips to, once again, all seems around a bus for some reason, bus trips to amusement parks. And we were selling the, the tickets to go to the amusement parks. And we knew that we could go in, I could sign for a bus. I took my allowance and the money that I made and I signed for a bus. And it's funny when I think about all these stories, I was doing this at 14 and the last oh, wow. trip I did, I think I was 17. So technically, I probably wasn't old enough to sign the contract. But we're not going to talk about that now. But, right. but we put together these events. And I would go out and sell to the network that I had, which was students, kids at my school, at my friend's school. Um, we created flyers. And that time to date ourselves, it was the first batch of print shop. So I was creating flyers and giving it a name, an organization, negotiating pricing. And we ran a series of these uh, these events all throughout the time I was in high school. And my friend and I, we worked in the business. This is what we were known for. And that, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit really shaped the types of roles that I was in, some of the early lessons of resilience and confidence and creativity all came from this. Now, it was unusual. I can tell you that. I was a little kid at 14. I had a briefcase next to me. Well, that's, you know, I want to drill down on that, Benny, because yeah. there's there's the skills, which right. you've obviously mastered as ascending to the CEO of the American Marketing Association. But then there is the uh, emotional skills, the state of beings. And I'm curious at the age at, in fourth grade, which I don't know, is that like 10 or 12 years old? I, I think it's like 10. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, if you can <clears throat> like feel it, where did you get the internal story that gave you, for example, to ask the teacher if you can sell candy on the bus? Because that's a pretty bold move for a fourth grader to just ask the teacher. You, you have a sense of where you got that courage to make the moves 
and the creativity to come up with the ideas. I find a lot of people are creative and they kind of have an idea of, oh, what I might like to do this, I might want to do this. But what they're missing is the courage and the enthusiasm and that internal fire to have them take that step that's outside their comfort zone. Do you know where you got that? Did you get that? You know, I, I can I can tell you where where I, I think where those embers start, right? And I'll start off by talking about the future and then talk about the past. So when right. I think of the future, I think of my kids. So my daughter would say, I'm just built differently. That's, that's how my daughter in her 12-year-old parlance would think about it. But I, I know that it comes from my parents setting the environment for that to happen. Neither one of my parents were involved in business or marketing or any space in there. But they were involved in we have a smart, talented child, and we're going to encourage him to explore. We're going to encourage him to space in there. I think back to things that my that my mother would say that have served me well throughout my entire life. We think about being bold. My mom would always say, never take a no from someone who doesn't have the power to give you a yes. <laughs> and I remember as a kid her saying that and watching her if she had a challenge in the store or working with something, it was always this diplomatic way of you can ladder up and keep moving through, right? I think about my dad stepping into spaces. So my dad took over a Boy Scout troop, a, a Cub Scout troop, because the Cub Masters had run away and he had his son and his friends who wanted to have a Boy Scout troop. My dad didn't know what he was doing at the time. I didn't know that then. I just knew my dad was stepping in there. So we saw that and continually pushed these spaces of what it means to be a leader, what it means to have agency. You know, now these are all the big words and concept that as an adult I can say. But at the time it was, okay, if you think the world needs to change, change it. If you think you can do that, do it, right? And and that kind of equipment in it. Now, if you're gonna do it, you need to make sure you're prepared. You need to make sure you studied up on it. You need to make sure you're figuring out what you, what you're doing. And it just kind of laddered into that. And so one of the things that's always driven me is the notion that I always believe that I can. And that extends to my teams and organizations. I always believe that we can. And if you kind of start from there, even when you don't, you're still victorious in what you're learning and building. It's like, like I, we tell the story now and it's funny and crazy about having the trips in there. But I had moments where, you know, we're doing a trip and the numbers didn't add up. Or we we're hit with... Um, innovation moments in there. I think about the trips we were going in, we could get kids to go in there, but you can't take, I tell you this one little secret, you can't take a bus of 50 kids somewhere without adults. <laughs> so you have to know. Right. One of the things we built as an innovation is we would go out and find the quote unquote cool parents and we'd offer them this deal. You can go for free if you serve as a chaperone in the space in there. And so we use our free tickets that we receive for every 20 tickets to then have chaperones who were basically under our employee. <laughs> this to, is to have crazy. Trip. I love this. And but you it, know, it's, I can't even imagine doing this, Benny, when I was like in high school. Like the thought would never occur to me. So this I, is brilliant. I, I didn't I didn't know any better, right? And what's beautiful is I didn't know that I shouldn't be able to do it. Right. Yeah. So we laugh about the signing the contracts. So I, my mom early on uh, set up a credit union account for me, which is good financial yeah. guidance. I was a kid. I had yeah. a credit union account, you know, and, and so at a credit union account dating ourselves, I had a check birthday money went in there and space in there. So, you know, I wrote a check for my credit union account to be the deposit on that first bus. You know, you think about it as a 14 year old, because it was the money that I had, it was invested in there. I didn't have external investors in there, but it's kind of right size. I think if I think back to that time and, and it's been some years, my friend, I think it was a hundred dollars was a deposit <laughs> on the bus, Right. but a hundred dollars for a 14 year old to put a check in. And I went to that meeting, I put a suit on and a briefcase as a 14 year old and walked into the bus company and booked, and it was a family owned business. So I was like supporting a small business. And these are things I didn't know at the time. I just looked right. up, you know, who's a bus business? Who has the bus? And we went into it. I remember walking in and seeing regular buses and seeing these really nice buses that were premium. And it was a 25% or so increase in costs. So I negotiated a slight discount and booked the premium buses and knew for our business, we would always book the nicest bus. Yeah. So that became, you know, if you're going on one of Benny's trips, you're getting the nicest bus. Right. Oh, so, Benny's trips. I love it. What was, yeah. did you have a name for this business? 
No, we could never agree on the name. <laughs> I know, I know I'm a branding person. I People come to me for names all over the world right now for everything. Uh, I quietly have named more things than, than I ever take credit for in life. But yeah, no, we never came with a name. It was always a, what do we call the trip? So it's my friend of mine, it was our trips. Yeah, kind there of you like, go. Kind of like there you Sometimes simplicity is the best answer. Uh, <laughs> what would you give, Benny, for some social media footage of you back oh, then? Oh, my goodness. That, you know, <laughs> it would have been wonderful to have all that. We had none of that. Like I said, I had print shop flyers. The, the, the technical innovation I had was running off the flyers on different color paper. That's what we had. <laughs> so... But but you think about it, it would have been the business would have been so social media perfect. It was Instagrammable. Yeah. It was yeah. experience. It was it was TikTok platform space in there. It was all those things that that we do now that are about relationships and excitement and experience. We were creating those branded experiences. So yeah, you get a juice box on the way back on the bus, and you had the nice premium seats on the bus, right? Little things that make the difference when you're a 15 year old going on a trip. You had this nice trip that you were a part of. Right. Um, what was funny at one point in time is I submitted this business plan to a college business competition. And I remember, I think I got like honorable mention and the note from probably an MBA who's our age now, right, was something like this will never work. And it made me laugh and about perspective because I've been doing it for three years. But right. when you're, you know, when you're older than a 16 year old, you have other considerations. You have a car, you have agency as an adult. When you're like 14 and 15, this becomes your social life, your outlet, your space. There's a premium for it. You're willing to pay. I think at the time our trips were 25 to $30. You're willing to pay. It. Yeah. And, and that helped me save up money. And it was a part of my story and going to college. You know, this was, what did, what did you do? Well, I ran my own business. And that opens up, like you just said. So I, yeah. I thank you for this opportunity. I haven't talked about this in some time. It's like my mom will, will bud nudge me sometime. Remember when you did this? And it sounds zany and hilarious now. But at the at the time, to your point, I was I was very serious that that I felt that this was something that I could control and I could own. You know, I didn't no. I didn't work at a fast food restaurant. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I didn't want to work at a fast food restaurant. I wanted yeah, to work. I mean, it's just it's just brilliant, um, Benny, and and I'm I'm sure it led to other extraordinary entrepreneurial enterprises. The name of this podcast is the Authentic Networker, and I'm curious because you yeah. talk a lot about relationships, and I know building quality relationships has been a huge part of the ascension in your career. Can you speak to what you learned in that bus business about relationships? Maybe what your parents taught you about relationships? You know, it's, I come from a really just wonderful family. And I'm sure everybody thinks their family is wonderful, but you know, my, I'm going to tell you my family is really wonderful in that, that my parents were, have always been an ample part of community. So whether it was from church family, whether from alumni relationships or education, you know, my family and household was always a space. We jokingly said this, I always had an extra brother living with me because my parents always had someone else who was a part of our family. We, we opened wow. a space in there. And, and so, you know, one of the things that I learned from, from my family, from my grandparents and my parents and extended family, we always treat everyone with the same respect and engagement. So whether you're the CEO or the janitor, you're going to get treated the same way that's deeply engaged and authentic. Um, my wife always talks about the fact that I keep up with everybody that I know, and I do. I probably, if I know you, you're going to hear from me at least once a year. And it's not because I'm trying to be a master networker in a space in there. It's because the things that I value the most are the interactions and the relationships and the stories that we build. And that sometimes turns into wonderful business exchanges that sometimes turns into ways that I can be helpful for someone in their life, with their children, with their family, with their parents. It also turns into sometimes where people can end up being helpful for me. You know, I have folks that you often we pick up in our lives and you don't even remember how you became friends, but you've always been friends. Right. You know, and, and so those stories and those experiences, um, I, you know, like we talk about the scout relationship with my dad taking over the scout troop. Those young men that grew up with me um, 
we're still connected and still friends and they're CE this, CE that. And in the span right. that I was announced as CEO of AMA, a dear family friend of ours was announced as CEO of the New York Public Radio. And another wow. friend was announced. And I thought back to, my dad is no longer here, but I thought back to these were the little boys that sat around his table and ate all his food, who wow. are now, you know, excelling in their careers and lives in their own paths, but are CE that, CE this, right? Yeah. Um, which was really powerful. But those were the lessons that I saw. I saw how those relationships generated respect and that respect generated the opportunity to move things forward, whether it was in professional, social, personal spaces in there. So for me, you know, my my parents were more direct community service and oriented in their backgrounds um, in the space in there. I've always been, I am the benevolent capitalist, right? <laughs> Is how I tell my son all the time. I was like, I am clearly a capitalist, but I'm a benevolent one. You right. know, I was kind of thinking B Corp before there was B Corp. So I love, I love the power of business and design and innovation to affect change in our lives. Right. I love the space of, of entrepreneurship to take you from zero to 60. I love watching communities thrive because something's been built. I love yeah. watching the pride in small businesses. And it doesn't have to be the becoming Google. I love right. the pride of watching one of my dear friends who was a scout with us. His family runs an aerospace engineering firm. Can you imagine that? Their family business is an aerospace engineering firm. To this Crazy. day, it's still mind-blowing for me, right? Their client right. is next. Yeah. But it's the family business. Right. Well, you said a couple of things there, Benny, which uh, I just want our audience to just not skip over and... One of them is that, you know, if you're in your network, if somebody's in your network, they can expect to hear from you at least once a year. And that's such a profoundly powerful habit and skill and commitment and, and vision and, and process to keep your network nurtured and alive. And the second thing you said, which I love so much, is you're looking for opportunities to serve them. And yeah, they may serve you, but right. you serving them and you just those two things, staying in touch yeah. and looking to how you can serve people, that's huge in building a network. And, you know, there's this cliche, your net worth equals your network yeah. or vice versa. Um, so I got an app I'm going to send you that you might okay. enjoy uh, looking at. It's called Contact Mapping. A friend of mine owns it. Okay. And it's, oh, des it's designed for the very purpose of staying in touch and keeping that uh, network nurtured okay. and warm and positive. And, and entrepreneurialism, you know, that is, that's the bedrock of American capitalism. You know, you talk about an aerospace engineering firm. Well, you know, I'd love to go back to, okay, the day they started right. an aerospace engineering firm that might have been at the kitchen table of their home, right? <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's so wonderful. When they started, they were a traditional engineering firm. They would what you expected. And they performed so well on the project, they got invited to do their first aerospace engineering project. And when I talked to my friend and talked about them, they were scared in every way you should be when you're going to do something bold, Right. Right. And skip ahead 35 years. <laughs> and here they are, right? Yeah. And, and that's how it happens. And they, they move forward in that way. Yeah, I, I have a dear friend of mine who always tells me this, and it's a wonderful space. I used to quote him. I thought I was quoting him. And he told me, no, he was quoting me, which is funny how that circular worked, which we would always say our friends are always our friends. And finding ways to kind of dynamically connect those dots. So it's wonderful for me at times when you reach out to folks that you don't think on the surface, there's a connection point there, but you start talking, you realize, you know, you're where they're wanting to go or they're where you're wanting to go. And there's a space right. in here where that rapport and trust and memory that you've built up over time has a space in there. Um, you know, those are things that are important to me. Uh, the pandemic was one of those spaces where it challenged that conversation to think about. And I remember early on, I picked a book that was like meaningful to me. And I just started sending it out to people. What was it? You know, it's interesting. It was a, it's a book called uh, American Project. It's about the photographer Dawube, who 
who's from Chicago, and it's two bodies of work that he did. And it's designed by an incredible, it's won awards for both the design and the content. So you have a photographer who's done incredible work. It's his photography. The design and layout of the book is award-winning and the essays are tremendous. Wow. And, and so I just started sending this book out and, you know, candidly, how do you do this? And I'm not sitting here saying, saying, you know, oh, I'm just taking CEO salary, sending books out. No, it was like every payday, I send out three books, right? It was very wow. meaningful and no one knew they were getting it. Just random active. This yeah. is what I'm sitting here reading. And it's kind of a visual narrative and story. So even if you're not reading the essays, the photographs are phenomenal to, to be yeah. there, which is really, it's about the photographs, but it's all the spaces. I just sent that out and did that for the better part of a year. And just the rapport, because now we had something to talk about, right? The fact that the book was sent, did you see, you know, spaces that, and it was very yeah. important at that time when we weren't seeing anybody. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, it was my that own leads. kind of touch point book club, right? Yeah, no yeah I love that. Reading a chapter, no, no pressure. Yeah. What a brilliant way to nurture your network and just give, right? Just give to people and, and connect with them. That leads okay. me to be curious, Benny. Um, two people that influenced me significantly in, in marketing and business philosophy was Seth Godin, who I'm sure... Yeah. Yes, you're familiar with and DeWitt Jones, who you may not be familiar with. Uh, DeWitt has a pretty popular TED talk called What's Right in the World. Yes, and yes, he's an yes. award winning uh, National Geographic photographer, retired, but yes. he does a whole talk. I'll send it to you. He does a whole talk about uh, using some of his favorite uh, photos that he took around the world yes. uh, to lift people up with what's right in the world. And Seth Godin, uh, I just love his no-nonsense, honest approach to marketing, which is, of course, quite challenging. I'm curious, who, have, who are people that have influenced and mentored you in your journey? Because your journey is quite improbable. It, to go it, from it, the trip business in D.C. Yeah. as a 14-year-old to the CEO of the American Marketing Association, that's it, it, improbable. It is, it has been an improbable space. I will say a, a shout out that Seth is a part of my world every morning. Every morning, I, I for as long as I can remember, I get a I get the note from him. Subscribe yes. to his newsletter. I am eleven years running me. every day. He's never missed a day. I am I am still stunned. I don't even have yeah. words for like every day. There's something, and right. there's always something that I need for my team, whether I know I need it there or not. And I'll come back and go. You know, Seth said it better. Right. Just, you know, but so, so that's a, I probably never acknowledged that, but it's so much a part of my, my open read each day. Um, so yes, the, the journey I look back and that's what led to that writing that story about becoming full circle. It's been improbable in all those ways. And, and in so many ways, it's been a blessing in there. So I grew up here in DC and I'm a proud product of DC public schools. And I grew up in a time where people weren't proud about being from DC public schools. Um, but I always was. And, and it's, a, it's an important part of my story because I went from D.C. public schools to undergraduate at Yale and then wow. eventually school at Columbia. So yeah. my journey is that juxtaposition of the public school kid with the Ivy League education yeah. and growing up in a family in which, you know, my parents had were first generation in their family to go to college and had advanced degrees. But both of my grandmothers were domestics. So. Wow. Experience of, of having that, my world has always been about this world. I live in DC, which is simultaneously local, regional, national, and global. Yep. So that's the that's the telescoping of how I thought about my world in, in space. Um, so yeah, I'm the, the kid that grew up in there, but in between there was an exchange student that lived in Japan. So these are all things that don't technically go together. Yeah. But they start to create the executive that that you see. And so um you know, I, I strive to find opportunities and spaces and early on in marketing spaces, it was hard. It was hard being a marketing leader of color and not coming from certain spaces to get into, get into yeah, jobs and spaces in there. I remember applying for jobs coming out of Yale and having people saying, well, I'm not going to hire you to run marketing because you went to Yale. You should work on Wall Street. I'm like, but no, <laughs> I, 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 maybe I'm not making good choices here, but <laughs> this is what I want to do. And it was it was frustrating and challenging. And I remember getting family members sending notes saying, maybe you should consider something else. 
But I knew that building brands and building businesses were things I was passionate about. And so I got a chance to work at a lot of startup and restart spaces and found that that was a space where I could thrive. Like I could take things that were old and renovate them. I could take things that were new and expand and build them out in ways that hadn't been built before. And that became my kind of acknowledging the superpower. Ah. Like people in ideas and spaces. So, you know, the resilience that you have when we talked about being a kid and starting a business, I felt a bit MacGyver. You can drop me in. I'm going to hone my skills and my narratives and the things that I do that you can drop me into any situation. And that, that allowed me to think, like you said, it, it's not a probable path because that was the first thing. I wasn't, I didn't get the job that I thought I was going to get after a space in there. So that changes the whole path. Mm -hmm. Right. So then you find your ways to keep coming back. And a few years ago, um, marketing and global strategy led me into association space. I was looking, I was coming from technology driven startup and was offered an opportunity to build out a strategic marketing and global development team from scratch for an wow. association. And it was, you know, that kind of perfect opportunity to build out the team that you think that you need to have for this challenge that hadn't been thought out. And we built out a team and we launched a global certification across um, close to 75 countries simultaneously. And it was the first time it had been done in that space and there. So we went from large companies to small countries, established economies to emerging. And how do you build this for a new profession? And that led me down the line of working in business associations, which for me started to move into this space to answer this really question that I had when I was a kid. What do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And that's what professional associations every day help to build and define by setting the frame of the profession, by setting the networking opportunities, by talking about jobs and best and emerging practices. These are all the reinforcing messages that go back to when you and I were a kid and we asked that question, what do we want to be when we grow up? And so going through those spaces in there and when this opportunity came up, um, it was, I had a good colleague that when she saw the announcement, she didn't ask me if I was applying. She didn't ask me if I was being considered. She didn't ask me if anybody had reached out to me. She saw it and she just looked at me and she said, so when's your first day? And so kind of speaks to the yeah. role and this path that, that I've been on. I, I, I wish I could tell you that it was far more intentional of the stops along the way. Was not. Yeah, I get <laughs> um, it. But the intention to know that we're going to take whatever we have and we're going to build and grow off of it. Um, and we're and going to do some things that are unexpected. Did you go from the Better Business Bureau to uh, AMA? Was that? No, I went Better Business Bureau to leading AIGA, Got which it, is right. a design professional association. So I went as I was chief strategy officer for the Better Business Bureau and responsible for strategy, market research, and support of our national program. So at BBB, we did everything from you know, understanding the interaction with your aunt and the local mechanic to doing global privacy concerns in the EU. So that's right. the expanse of that and the marketing engagement and strategy. And so was very much a part of privacy, truth and advertising. Some of those areas that are kind of core to when we think about marketing as a profession. And then having the opportunity, I was tapped to be the CEO, to be the executive director of AIGA, the Design Professional Association. And did that for, for years until uh, this recent opportunity to come over here at AMA, which, like I said, from the beginning is really full circle for me. So marketing, <clears throat> design, branding, yep. what do you see, Benny, as, you know, you and I were talking earlier about Black Friday. Um, yeah. You hadn't read it yet, but I wrote a little <laughs> article about Black Friday, which is kind of an anti-marketing article. but. Um, what do you see as the compelling direction that marketing needs to take? And where do we need to be cautious about a race to the bottom? What do you, what, what's, what's your vision about the leadership impact you're going to have on marketing itself? You know, I, I said in the note that we first talked about that one of the things that I prize is that I've always believed that marketing has the opportunity to make a more meaningful impact to our world around us. Right. When you think about the science, the art, the management practice and the impact that marketing has on everything we think about in our lives, there's an opportunity for us as expert practitioners, as kind of the shapers of the profession, to be able to yield the profession in such a way that's a net positive for our world. 
I think that as we move forward, we're seeing in all types of spaces that people are expecting more of their marketing experience. They're expecting more of their brands. Leadership is changing. Our consumers are changing. The world we're around are changing. So all of those things are changing, right? We think about the future of business is changing. The future of the way we work is changing. The future of the professional and the profession have to change as well. And I think we're on that inflection point that we'll start to see that. We talked about moments that we have in there where, if anything, the, the pendulum swings one direction too far. And you see self-correcting opportunities in the marketplace. You see us evolving as the way in which we think about the practice and the form. Um, I think it's, it's going to be for, for us, and there's an incredible responsibility and opportunity as marketing leaders um, to shape the future of the profession in a way that, once again, is net positive for our world around us. When you think about it, those who are starting new companies, they're looking to start companies that are doing better, right? Those who are going into existing companies, there's an impetus to change to do things that are better, right? The profession needs to continually push, um, refine, reward, and understand those ways to move us forward, right? That's that's what becomes true sustainability. That's what becomes true impact. You know, that's what drives people in. We think about what are the hiring brands when we go and we look at younger marketers or professionals who are coming in. You know, they're signing up and raising their hands to work for the companies and the orgs that are doing work that is good. They still have the same energy of selling things like I did when I was a kid. You still want to think there, but you're doing those things that are going to be positive for you, your family, the community around you, the impact of the work that you have. I think that the profession does well to continue to have that be a strong through line and to move forward to be on the forward side of that, right? We, and, I'm, I'm a big fan of professions that lead from the front, that lead right. in the space in there, that, aren't a, that are unapologetic about being better. If we're going to err, let's err on the side of better. And in better... How does integrity and transparency, um, you know, I think Seth wrote a book once called All Marketers Are Liars. And, <laughs> you know, as I have everything from the political advertising to, right. um, you know, everything we see on TV and everything we see on the internet, I'm curious, what is your vision about integrity and transparency? And at the same time, being effective marketers, how do we how do we move towards that in the future? Well, I will I will tell you that my background in bio will give you the lead on that answer. So I spent you know five years as chief strategy officer of the Better Business Bureau, and yeah. our whole premise and and notion and mission was it starts with trust, trust in building a more ethical, dynamic, and trusted marketplace between all the component parts of the ecosystem, consumers and business, supply chain, industry, how do we work together to make an ecosystem in which there's less friction, there's more transparency and more respect between all the component parts, right? So that is, that is at the heart of, of what I believe in how we build it. Now it's easier to say and harder to do an engineer in building that out. But if we're, we're pushing for a space in which we're building business and work and marketplaces that are more trusting, right? And here's the thing, when you build in these mechanisms of ethical, trustworthy practice, you eliminate inefficiencies, you eliminate frictions, you create greater stickiness and connections with customers. These are all the things that equal greater pro profitability and impact, right? So we go back to kind of those core measures of marketing and business that you want to have. Am I presenting something that is counterintuitive to those? No, it's saying that if you do more, then you build a more trusting relationship with your consumers. You know, yeah. these are the things that I dr think drive contemporary marketing. And if you're a marketer and this is a part of your skill set and, and thought set, then this is where you need to be moving towards, right? The numbers show it. The building of an ethical profession shows it. The impact you have on the world around you shows it. Uh, a, a cliche that I'm found, fond of because I coined it is verb noun, trust, trust as your primary strategy. Yeah. Trust, it, it, trust. 
Exactly. I mean, and then that starts to speak to all those things in there. So we have the bigger ideas we're doing now. So truth in advertising, privacy, data management, all of these conversations are really trust exchanges. Yep. You know, they're, sure. they're, they're really, and in this moment in time, we have an environment in which our society is desperate for mechanisms to trust. I was just reading an article this morning, a great article about the evolution of Amazon and how just three or four years ago, the consumer felt like they could trust that when they went to Amazon and they typed in a whatever they wanted to buy, the article was talking about cat beds as the right. example, that they could trust that Amazon was going to show them the most popular, the most uh -huh. price effective cat beds. But today, if you write put in cat beds, the article said the first five pages are ads. And yep. some of them are deceptively designed ads. And some mm -hmm. of them are Amazon-owned products and have all these little cute nuances about, you know, highly recommended and Amazon right. recommended. But you got to get to page six before you find the organic best cat bed based on some algorithm. Everything else is ads, which... I suppose is a short-term good profit strategy for Amazon, but not a long-term good trust strategy. Right. And it, it erodes what drew us all in. Right. Exactly. So, so sometimes we, we don't understand the, the hidden impact of trust. Right. And it's seen in terms of it's a user design experience. It's an experience design space. It's a marketing space. It's a conceptual arrangement in there. Right. You know, you think about the word of mouth, if you were telling people, yeah, I know if I type this in, I get everything I need from Amazon. Now, you know, there's hesitancy in your voice, even in giving that story. Right. Things have changed. So that trust arrangement has changed. And these are always dynamic relationships because we evolve, companies evolve, the marketing approach, we as consumers evolve in that space and there. But finding those continually right ways to, to reinforce the trust, I think is going to, you know, that's going to be our challenge. Um, as marketers, as businesses, but also finding those inputs as consumers. You know, yeah, where, sure. how do how do we vote with our, you know, cash, yeah. or action, or eyeballs, right? Because right? all those yeah. things are valuable things that go into it. How do we vote with our presence to reinforce how we want to have our trust exchange happen? And nothing affects uh, change faster than a political vote or where we spend our money. <laughs> you, want, you want Amazon or anybody else to change their ways, all they need to see is a change in revenue and be able to track where it came from and they'll affect the media change. It, hey, I, mm -hmm. I think I could talk to you for hours, days, <laughs> Benny, and maybe we'll get a chance to do this again. I have. A final I would, question. I would love to. I would lo love to do this again. Yes. We can talk in a few months so I can tell you what I've learned. <laughs> I would love that because you're new to this position. I, I'm, but brand, I have I'm, one, brand new. I'm brand new, have, my friend. <laughs> I have one last question for you, which okay. I think my audience will be uh, love to hear your spin on. And that is the role that storytelling plays in marketing. Marketing is, you know, kind of that stale skill set academia almost you know marketing branding okay right what is all of that storytelling kind of brings it down to a level that everybody can relate to and be moved by right i have to think that the purpose of marketing is to educate and move people right so how do you see storytelling uh, as a role in marketing what do you have to tell my audience about telling a story that moves people? For me, it's always been about meaning making, right? So let's let's put a pin in storytelling and keep that off. And that's, you know, the big umbrella. Yep. But it's not stories for story's sake, right? Right, right. It's really understanding meaning making. And I have a, a good friend of mine who's a cultural anthropologist, and we talk about this a lot with his work. And he talks about not storytelling in terms of your master narrative, but understanding the stories that people tell themselves. Mm -hmm. And the way in which, and as you, as you think about it, that's a more nuanced approach that deeps into us in a deeper human connection. So yes, we are a, a, 
we are driven by the big meta and macro story arcs in space. And we, we understand those moments of winning and losing and heroism in space. We understand the, those tropes, um, which as a good marketer, you're taking all of those experiences and bringing them together. But I think what's really powerful for us is thinking about the stories that our customers, our audiences tell themselves and how we're able to use that to move forward. Whether it's, it's not always in marketing, it's not always a product. Sometimes it's moving towards an action. It's moving towards a mission. I think about, you know, we're recording this in November. We just were the day after Giving Tuesday. Right. And the stories are about support and how do you find a way to give the story and support? That is that is a component part of marketing. That is a skill set of marketing to help move those agendas and items forward. Um, we said before, I was like the net positive impact the world around us. I think that those skills that you have in storytelling are part of your portfolio, are part of your toolkit, right? So just as your analytical kit skill sets are in there and understanding your business acumen, you know, I think the skills about relationship building, then meaning making, and how do you inspire, inform, empower, and educate? Like it rolls off the tongue because there's the things that I think about all the time. You know what we're doing? It's empowering. It's informing. It's educating. Those are those are the things that you're doing. Storytelling for what end? Right. This is why you're doing that. Does the story help to inform? Does the story help to empower? Does the story help to educate? Does the story help to eliminate friction to move to action? Does it build credibility, right? Those are the things that, that we go into. And Brilliant. Yeah, most importantly, does, does a story really matter, right? There's lots of stories out there. Some of them we pick up and we get excited about, others we don't. And some of my favorites are told to us, like our conversation today, and we may have people who listen to us and they have no idea what we're talking about today, but five years from now, they'll be in a meeting and it'll come to life. Right. Yeah. Stories, how we move the culture forward. And um, that's beautiful. I hadn't thought about uh, how you put that and how important this story has to matter. And it has to hit the touch points that move things forward because yeah. the best stories are those that move virally, right? They capture yeah. our imagination and, and we tell yeah, each yeah. other those stories. Yeah, and connection point. Yeah, they do. Nothing, I will, I will nothing tell better you than word of mouth marketing. Right. I will tell you this little tidbit that I've told my teams for the last 20 years, and I love saying it because it just makes us smile in these moments. I always tell them, my marketing teams in particular, you are not the target audience. And yeah. I say that all the time because it gets us to your point. It's not the story that we're telling. It's the story that our audience is understanding and making meaning of. And it's such a, it's a refreshing note. I say it all the time, but it, it helps to reset the conversation. It helps to reset the strategy because it gets you out of your story arc and into understanding what meaning matters. Right. Like it's about, it's not about you. It's about them. Uh, hey, uh, the last thing I want to ask you, Benny, before we uh, transition out is what call to action would you give my audience? Um, how would you want them to connect with you? And is there something, is there a book? Um, I don't think you've written a book, but uh, if you have, I, tell us about I, it. I, I haven't, but we've got one in. We've got one in the queue. Oh, good, <laughs> so, good. Well, okay, how would you good. like people to connect with you so they can stay in touch with what you're doing? You know, the platform of today that really is at the heart of relationships and connections. Cyberstalk me on LinkedIn. Perfect. So you can find me, Benny F. Johnson, on LinkedIn. And that keeps you abreast of what we're thinking, what we're working on, things that I'm sharing and doing. Would love for people to reach out to me. Don't hesitate to send me a direct message during the platform and everything else. And it allows us to see how dynamically small our world is, you know, as well. So reach out to me there. I invite people to join us at the AMA, whether it's participating in a, a chapter, whether it's mentoring a young student or just being a part of the resources that help us all move and become better. I invite you to come and be a part of the AMA. I love it. So from Benny's trips to yes. the CEO of the American Marketing Association, Benny F. Johnson, thank you so much for inspiring and educating my audience here at the Authentic Networker. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hey, Benny, don't leave. Don't leave. Don't leave. <laughs> I, I hope that was good. That was fun. <laughs>
I want to do an outtake. Okay. Um, because part of my specific audience, Benny, is the direct selling market. Right. Network marketing, multi-level marketing, the direct selling association. Yes. Uh, and, they, the direct selling association was one of my partners at BBB. Yes. That's what I want to ask you about because yes. uh, I served for years on the direct selling association board and the ethics committee and one of the things that we yes. yeah one of, one of the things we drove for as a group is self-regulation because we yes. don't want the federal trade commission regulating that, everything that, we that do. is the world we, that i lived in and you probably know my dear dear friend and colleague and i would say mentor and he would tell me no i learned more from you uh he passed away last year you probably knew jim guthrie yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't Jim know him Guthrie. well, but I, I, oh, I my knew goodness. him. The Guthrie is, is one of the people that just has my heart, both personally and professionally. Love him and space. When I came into BBB, he had already retired. And he was sitting around as a consulting contract here. And I was like, who is this guy I'm signing off on? And I met him and it changed my world. And I, he became a part of my team as a mentor to the younger people on my team. So well, I'm curious like, if you could speak to my audience here, Benny, about mm -hmm. what do you know about, you talk about branding, right? Yeah, yeah. Brand of direct selling. Yeah. And, and that goes beyond direct selling. It goes into most common term, multi-level marketing, network marketing, right. whatever you want to call it. Uh, if people aren't clear, I just say, you know, like Amway. Yeah, and then yeah. boom, people get the brand right away. Right. Can you speak to from your perspective in creating that collaboration with the Better Business Bureau for what is now a pretty effective self-regulation right. program at the Direct Selling Association. What do you see about that? the branding of us as a profession, as an industry, right. direct selling? And what do you see in that collaboration that my audience might enjoy hearing about? You know, just, just my two cents, but you know, yeah. I. You know, one of the things that I think is really powerful for areas that are expanding, uh, professional areas that are growing in that are kind of new and evolving. And I say that although direct selling has been around forever, but it still has that space that self-regulation allows you to set the framework of what are good actors and what are good actions. Yeah. And that's really important because you have space and when it is fast and loose, you know, what happens is the good actions go unheralded, but the suspect actions become the narrative. They become the lead. And it could be a small percentage of the industry in space. And the major players and actors are doing the right things and building quality businesses, but you end up suffering from the drag off of the other space in there. So yep. it's all important. And I know with BBB working with industries and associations, direct selling and other spaces, it's a great opportunity to help kind of build that trust network again. We talked about before of this is how we do business. These are the standards that are acceptable. These are the ways in which we go in. Here's the mechanism that heralds what's being done right and calls out what's problematic. And here's a mechanism to effectively fix that, right? That's the part of the industry self-regulation because as you're working on any space in there, whether it's soft drink industry, kids advertising, there's space in there. I think about the industries of selling like alarm systems. That's one of the spaces where the biggest player, not to name the brand, is doing all of these things correctly, but the whole marketplace is some of by other actors who right. may trade off of that space. So how do you build a rapport in there? So these self-regulation programs, as you said, help to create great partnerships with the FTC. Uh, where you get that direct input of this is what we require from a legal, cultural, business ethics standards. Here's a mechanism in which the industry players, which your audience are all a part of, can be active in setting that stage. You know, you don't want you don't want someone else coming in and telling you how that you run your business in there, especially no. as you think about innovation and nuance and other offering there. But you do want a space in which the actors can self-regulate. Right. And having those programs are really critical. Um, it is how I've seen businesses try to shortcut things and it never works out for the yeah. longevity of the business of the space. And it's interesting. We talk about self-regulation. It's one of those spaces where we realize we're part of a community. 
Now, when you think about entrepreneurship and business space in there, people don't always think about community as the name space in there. But self-regulation is really all about an, an industry is really a professional community. And it's how are you acting, you know, how are the behaviors in that space in there? Because as you can see real quickly, if one player or one brand in your space, you know, has practices that sully the whole space, everybody's bottom line gets impacted. Yeah. Everybody's and, and, and in our space, the number one <laughs> thing that inhibits growth in our space is if you go out into the public sector with maybe a clipboard or a survey, mm -hmm. you ask a thousand people throughout the yep. full spectrum of demographic, hey, what do you think about the profession of direct selling? Of course, right, and I've right. actually done this. I've done this on the street with a video crew. Uh, it's hilarious, the answers I get, because people don't know what direct selling is. And so then I have to say, well, you know, right, multi-level right. marketing. Right. Well, right. they're not really sure what that is. And Network marketing, well, they think that has something to do with computers. Now you got a, now you got a brand problem here. <laughs> exactly. So I said, well, you know, like Amway, you go, oh, pyramid scheme. Well, actually, Amway's not a pyramid scheme, but interesting that you would say that. Uh, as a profession, you know, we have an image and a branding problem because right. we're selling something, opportunity. Everybody, every company sells a different product. It's not... The product's not that hard to sell if people are interested right. in a product. The, the pro what's hard to sell is the opportunity to earn money right. as a direct right. seller because the brand is soiled with right. 75 right. years of lack of trust and transparency. That, that is exactly, and, that's exactly our conversation where you know it, it, it goes back to paraphrase our old BBB tagline, it starts with trust, right? in the space in there and it's an evolving space because what you're doing now is different than what you did 30 years ago because of the tools and the structures and the space totally. in there. but 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 yeah it becomes a how do how do you work through the branding space in there and i think it takes time and it's reinforced with better practices right yeah continue better, better practices practice. shape the experience in which consumers have you know, and then they're because when a consumer has a negative feeling in there, it's because they're going back to either uh, experience that is real or perceived that there was enough data in their space, right? A friend, a cousin, or somebody, I know it, this happened, it happened to me, that works against that space. The only Ooh. way, the slow, slow build here, but important build is to reinforce with, well, these are these positive interactions that we have. This is the space that I've gone into it. Um, so yeah, I, I, I offer that as an encouragement. So thank you. Well, maybe we can to work hard and build. Maybe we can, uh, in a follow-up conversation, drill down on what does direct selling need to do to change its brand for sure in the long run. Let, Benny, let's, thank let's, you let's so that. much for your deal. time. Let's, let's talk about it. Thank you, good sir, for inviting me in as the new guy. I'm only a couple weeks in, so We'll see. Let's get back together in a little while. and We'll talk about the answers again. <laughs> I'd love that. Love that. Hey, have a great uh, holiday season and a fantastic week. Likewise. Thank you Thanks, so much. Benny. You bet. Bye-bye.